This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You are an old man who thinks in terms of nations and peoples. There are no nations. There are no peoples. There is only one holistic system of systems. One vast and immane, interwoven, interacting, multivariate, multinational dominion of dollars. And you have meddled with the primal forces of nature. And you will atone. Everybody knows that the days are loaded. Everybody rolls with their fingers crossed. Everybody knows the war is over. Everybody knows. The good guys lost Everybody knows The fight was fixed The poor stay poor The rich get rich That's how it goes Everybody knows Live from Toronto, Canada The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett From Zoomer Radio AM 740. Welcome aboard for the Sunday, August the 1st broadcast. So it's either a civic, the civic holiday or Lord Simcoe Day, where you, wherever you are. So happy whatever. Just enjoy the, uh, the, uh, the sunshine. Uh, and uh, mercifully, the, uh, that Africa humidity has... Uh, has left us for the time being. It was oppressive, wasn't it? We had that kind of weather where you just wanted to sit uh, and not move. I mean, uh, you just had no, I had no inclination to do anything uh, in some of that weather. Never mind, you know, go out and cut the grass or uh, attend to the vegetable garden. Uh, But uh, the last couple of days have just been absolute diamonds. Well, it's, uh, it's been several months since my corridor has been darkened by the gentleman uh, seated to my right. He's been on a whirlwind tour of uh, the Far East and uh, Australia, and uh, he's back uh, to to co-pilot us uh, through the next two hours when we turn our attention to the skies, the night skies predominantly, and uh, discuss UFOs and the ET presence uh, currently engaging humankind. He is... uh, the uh, media uh, guru for Exopolitics Canada. And uh, I'm happy to have back in studio, sitting alongside Victor Vigiani. Victor, how have you been? Just can't tell you how glad I am to be back with you, Richard. It's been uh, a long time, and uh, it's just great to see you on the other side of that mic. A lot going on uh, since you've been... Let me uh, first give people a heads up. A little bit later, uh, in just mere moments, actually, a uh, a former U.S. uh, air serviceman uh stanley fulham is going to be with us 
the author of Challenges of Change, uh, not only a, a UFO uh, researcher, but also a contactee who has some absolutely mind-blowing information uh, to share. I actually, and speaking with Stan earlier this week, um, I am frightened, literally frightened by what I'm about to hear later on in the next 45 minutes. Uh, That's saying a lot for someone who's been immersed in this field for a quarter century. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it is. It, with the kind of, um, uh, I guess, uh, repartee that he's uh, shared with me over the past couple of days, uh, both through email and, and just through our conversations, um, this is a man who has had experiences that few we have ever talked to Richard have had, and I am just sort of on bended knee, uh, you know, in awe of some of the things that he has spoken about and the kinds of uh, visions and experiences that he's had. And if uh, if any of it is even partially true, uh, your listeners tonight are in for a real program without compare. Well, we'll we'll learn a little bit about. Um, uh the, the nature of the, uh, the secret and why the, this UFO reality is being kept from us and how disclosure is going to play out, no matter what we might hear, and, and despite the efforts mm-hmm. of people like uh, uh, Stephen Bassett or Dr. Stephen Greer, exactly, yeah. uh, that it's going to unfold in, uh, according to its own timeline, mm-hmm. and he'll explain why that is. But it'll also, uh, uh, we'll also delve into the... Uh, the the group the government uh, group that was uh, formed back in i guess about 1947 by truman and that's majestic 12 that was it was their mission to keep a lid on this and uh, he has some interesting things to share about that as well i believe yeah it's played out that way maybe even earlier than that and i i, I suppose what what what's going on and and the kinds of things that that i've i've sort of i've heard from him is that and i've maintained this for many many years richard that this whole ufo et presence uh, disclosure thing when it does come about and when it does play out it's going to be much much different than anyone who's involved in this uh, can ever factor in their own imagination it's going to be very very different than anyone could ever imagine we all have sort of our preconceived notion as to how this might unfold but uh, according to to Stan it's going to unfold in a way that we just will not expect and that's how I've perceived it over the last little while this is going to be so different than anything we can ever imagine that we have to be prepared for it in a way that we just don't expect. A little bit later, uh, Peter Davenport, director of the National UFO Reporting Center, will uh, uh, will be with us. Uh, what do we What do you think we can expect from uh, Mr. Davenport tonight? Well, Peter is is one who's been involved with collecting of data. Geez, I'm I'm just sort of you know over the past twenty years for sure. He's probably the most consummate expert in the collection of data in North America and even beyond that. Uh, New Fork, the the National UFO Reporting Center, uh, catalogs information from all over the planet, uh, specifically from North America, and the number of sightings that Peter has cataloged is absolutely incredible. And not only does he lecture on some of these specific uh, uh, sightings, but he's one who has some very, very strong feelings about why the government has kept this uh, uh, from us, and he has his own specific opinions as to why this information has been kept from us. And he's, uh, in talking to Peter last week, he's very upset about it. He's He really is. He's got a bit of a, um, a you know, a, a stone in his shoe about why the government has uh, negated any kind of disclosure discussion at all. So it should be interesting to hear his perspective as to why the government is withholding this information. Victor Vigiani from Exopolitics Canada joins me in studio and uh, in mere moments will be joined by the author of Challenges of Change, UFO researcher and contactee Stanley Fulham will be with us and a little bit later Peter Davenport. 
uh, from the uh, UFO uh, National UFO Reporting uh, Center will be here as well. Uh, uh, since you've been away, uh, mm-hmm. last three uh, plus months, a lot has gone down. I mean, I um, I went down to uh, my first, my, my very first uh, X conference in Washington in uh, early May and uh, uh, spoke at length with. Uh, uh, Stephen Bassett and uh, Dr. Stephen Greer and Linda Moulton Howe and uh, uh, Richard Dolan. It was great to meet uh, these these people face to face. Alfred uh, Weber and I had a very lengthy uh, a conversation, and a, and it was about that that time when we had that uh, interview with uh, Stephen Hawking that came out, right. where Hawking actually uh, said that. The universe is inhabited by uh, all sorts of different intelligences, and some of them are not nice people or, or not nice biological entities, if you will. <laughs> what did you make of uh, the timing uh, of Hawking's announcement and the fact that it came from someone of his caliber? The caliber of that individual coming forward in the way that he did, I think, spo- uh, speaks volumes as to what this UFO ET presence is all about. And once again, I go back to my theme that this is going to unfold in a way that, it, that we don't expect. Um, I, I cannot presume to be as naive to think that these, who, whoever these people are are going to come forward and be benevolent and, and be the kinds of entities that we kind of want them to be. They're going to be what they are. And I think Stephen Hawkins, in the way that he presented this, this information, he may have information and he may be plugged into a scientific paradigm that we're not really aware of. Because I think once we hear from Stan, certain scientists have knowledge about this, and they've had knowledge about it for decades. So I'm not surprised by the fact that uh, that Hawkins came forward in the way that he did. Um, now, as far as w- what and who these ETs are in terms of their you know friendliness or whatever happens to be, I fully imagine they're, that they are just as um, um, tainted as we are. <laughs> I'm coming to believe that there, other than perhaps the Pleiadians, who are very close uh, allies of many of the governments here in, in, on, on the planet, there are factions out there that are not the kinds of people that we want to interact with on a day-to-day basis. But he was uh, definitely playing the scare card, which, oh, uh, for sure. I mean, it, it happened while I was down there. And, and uh, you know, uh, Dr. Stephen Greer didn't go so far as to suggest that uh, Hawking is, you know, m- part of Majestic, but... Uh, seems to I got the distinct impression from some of the people I talked to that the whole uh, Alfred Weber I think would 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 concur that the Hawking uh, pronouncement was very carefully designed uh, and is part of this ongoing uh, propaganda uh, that you know we have to fear these entities well I think we have to be prepared Perhaps fear may be too strong a word in one way as far as I'm concerned, but I think we have to be prepared for anything and everything. We cannot go into a galaxy or a universe that's filled with uh, entities, beings, uh, extraterrestrial entities, uh, as in the multitudes that we expect, and we cannot expect them to be all the benevolence uh, of the benevolence that we expect them to be. I think we have to expect everything and anything from our contact, and anyone who is a, of a mindset that these things are going to be just sort of, you know, grandfathers to us and bring us all of this enlightenment is, uh, is severely impaired in their perception as to what this all might mean. I think this is going to mean everything for everyone, and it's going to be an open deck of cards. We are just not going to be dealing with what we thought we were dealing with. Once disclosure happens, all, I guess, all bets are on. 
And uh, this is a fairly recent uh, announcement. I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I know you'll have something to say about it very quickly before we break. And mm-hmm. that is this, uh, this Kepler planet hunting team. Yeah. And you've got uh, one of the lead astronomers from, uh, from Harvard uh, saying that our solar system, never mind the universe, just, I mean, our galaxy, the Milky Way, mm-hmm. never mind the entire universe, just the Milky Way galaxy could harbor 100 million Earths. I mean, if that's the case, that just opens the, the door wide open for, you know, obviously the possibility of other intelligent uh, biological entities out there uh, in our galactic backyard. Just the physical reality of that is scary. We're not even talking about the alternate dimensional kinds of things that we're involved in with some of these beings. These Some of these beings have the capacity to move within dimensions. We're just not talking about, uh, you know, the physical reality of those that exist within, within our own dimension. So when I say to you that this... Um, the aspect of disclosure, once it is brought forward, will be something that's totally different. Uh, I think we have, once again, all bets are off, and we have to expect just about anything and everything from whatever the universe holds for us. All right. Stanley Fulham, author of Challenges of Change, UFO researcher and contactee, will be here. I advise you to stay in very close proximity to your radio because the information you are about to, to hear... My colleague, 25 years in the UFO field, is frightened by this information you are about to hear. He was shaken by this information in a uh, short email and uh, telephone conversation he had with our next guest. The Conspiracy Show continues in a moment. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. holes in the darkness the conspiracy show with richard Serrett from zoomer radio am 740 to see the light call richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in ontario at 1-866-740-4740 we are uh, going to attempt to unravel the conspiracy of silence, which has surrounded the UFO alien issue for 63 years and counting. And uh, in my uh, guest's, my next guest's book, he actually details his investigation of the top secret government organization known as MJ-12, or Majestic, created by President Truman and charged with the task of keeping a lid on the UFO reality. And he's also going to reveal his conversations with an ethereal group of highly advanced aliens known as the Transcender Group. And in those conversations, or contacts, they warned our guest and the world of the imminent Earth changes that are about to occur. Stanley Fulham, back on a hot day in July of 1944, witnessed a huge, brilliant UFO as it streaked high over Stalag 357, a German prisoner or a prison camp for Allied airmen in Poland. Stan Fulham, author of Challenges of Change, along with hundreds of Allied POW airmen, watched in fascination at the strange craft that made no sound and flew so high and fast they believed were their enemies' new aeronautical technology, perhaps Foo Fighters. 
After the war, Stan attended university, sailed the deep and uh, deep seas, and worked for the British United Press. He returned to the Air Force and worked in the NORAD radar system for several years, where he experienced the reality of UFOs with jet fighters in futile chases, which were beyond public knowledge under a U.S.-Canada agreement on the dissemination of UFO information. Stan retired from the Air Force, no wiser about UFOs, who they were, where they're from, are they a threat? He searched the books and discussed with the UFO experts. There were sightings and scientific hypotheses to the extraterrestrial phenomena, but no answers. It was universally recognized that the maneuverability and technology of the UFOs precluded an earthly origin. They existed on a higher dimension, and Stan concluded that is where the answers would be found. For several years... He's been in contact with the Transcender Group of the Fourth Dimension, and hire, uh, and they hire, they provided all of the answers to the UFO, alien, mystery, and more. Some of which Stan has transcribed in his book, Challenges of Change. Stanley Fulham, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. Well, thank you, Rick. And uh, Victor Vigiani, my co-pilot tonight. And Victor. Good evening, Stan. Nice to talk to you, and that's quite a comprehensive. Uh, review of the situation and it's very factual well and uh you know very condensed and uh, compact uh i mean i my my word the the information that you're coming through i don't know even how to wade into this but let me let me ask you uh when you first became uh cognizant that aside from you know your own personal you know ufo sightings and uh, and, and knowledge of the ufo issue that there was this other agenda going on that there was in fact an organization whose its mission was to keep a lid on it to keep you out of the loop to keep people like me out of the loop and victor ignorant to the truth about this when did you become cognizant of majestic well when i worked in norad as a fighter controller and um, one night i reported for duty and um the duty controller pointed out there were two UFOs that hovered at the end of the runway, about a thousand feet up, and uh, they just sat there for about two or three hours. And uh, he, I relieved him, and then, of course, I had to do something about it, and I scrambled the jet fighters after these UFOs. They flew away at tremendous speed and ended up and hovered over the Pacific, several miles west of Vancouver until the jet fighters approached them, and then they disappeared over the ocean. Uh, the uh, next morning, uh, the base commander called and said that the media were calling uh, about these strange lights that were seen in the sky last night. But as you know, there was nothing unusual happened last night, so there's no reason for us to be talking to the media. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Yes. So I, uh, but I understood, and the squadron, my squadron commander knew uh, that was the policy. And uh, but I didn't know, I didn't know about the policy then. But about three weeks later, NORAD, we I, we had to submit our report, of course, to NORAD headquarters. Uh, NORAD uh, intelligence officers uh, asked for a meeting with the squadron commander, myself, and the technical officer. And at that meeting, uh, I met a major in the intelligence. And I became very good friends with this gentleman, and we discussed, and he gave me a great deal of information 
about what had transpired. Now, he, had, he was in the Air Force during the uh, Second World War with the USAF. I was with the Canadian Air Force. And, uh, but he remained in the Air Force and worked in intelligence. And uh, he is the gentleman that gave me a great deal of the information about the... the, the, the well, first of all, he discussed the, uh, the, the, the base commander's caution to me to remain silent, uh, he said that because that was in accordance with a standard policy regulating and controlling all UFO, uh, UFO reports uh, to the public under a joint agreement signed in 1956 between the United States and Canada. Now, as far as I know, the agreement has never been rescinded. Otherwise, of course, there wouldn't be a conspiracy of silence. The agreement was top secret, and I asked my good friend, I'll, I'll call him Dave, a senior NORAD intelligence officer, who signed this agreement, and he said he would make an inquiries about it, but he was unable to determine who signed a document on behalf of the United States or Canada. Now, I talked about this matter with Paul Hellyer, and Paul Hellyer told me that he never signed nor he ever saw the document. Now, it may have been signed by top military commanders, and the politicians were never informed. Stranger things have happened. But basically, the agreement formalized a top government policy that was established years before by the military and strongly endorsed by President Roosevelt, Truman, and Eisenhower. The public cannot handle this information of the UFO alien reality. So would it be fair to say, Stan, that this information, and I want to let Richard continue on his, his train of thought too, that this, all of this information was basically ho-hum, uh, uh, very, very common uh, descriptors among the high-level people at NORAD, just sort of, oh, by the way, information that most people in that echelon just took for granted. Well, according to the... And he was a very, very knowledgeable man. When he retired, he became an advisor to the Defense Department in Washington. I begged him to write a book about all his, his knowledge and experience, but he would never do for, well, for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but according to him, and he had a wealth of information about the early start of uh, MJ-12, uh, which, uh, which was this basically started by President Truman. And... Uh, the one thing that guided them, and even before that with Roosevelt, when they had the information about crashed UFOs, they hadn't gone way back to the 1920s, 1931, 1940, I think it was 41 or 40, yeah, 41. Mm-hmm. They had information, they had crashed UFOs, and they had bodies, and, and they had all this information, but they discussed this amongst themselves with the top military leaders, according to Dave, and they were determined that, they were absolutely convinced that the public could never cope with this kind of reality. And then uh, Eisenhower, uh, in 1954, I believe it was, and he had an experience with the Pleiadians themselves when he was um, asked to meet the Pleiadians at Edwards Air Force Base in California. And uh, they uh, were there to discuss their future interaction with mankind. President Eisenhower discussed the critical issue of alien interaction with, with his top government and military leaders for three days. And it was their unanimous conclusion that mankind was not ready for such a shock to their belief systems. After all, we are God's special creation. So how can there be beings more advanced than mankind? Did not God send his beloved son to die on the cross for our sins? And now the government is telling us that there are literally billions of alien civilizations with technologies and a spiritualism vastly beyond mankind's. Now, 
These government and military leaders, including Eisenhower, were absolutely convinced that the disclosure of all the information they had on UFO alien reality would create more harm than good. Now, Rick, I happen to believe that. Judging from my discussion with thousands of people in Canada, the United States, and in Europe during the last 60 years, I would say is that that is absolutely true. I was having a discussion here not too long ago with a very, a very intelligent and highly educated retired academic. And we discussed that. And I asked him what would be his reaction to the alien reality if a UFO, say, landed in his backyard. He says a UFO disclosure would be an absolute shock and he wasn't sure how he would react to that challenge to his belief system. Nor would I, uh, uh, Stanley. I, uh, to this day, I don't know how I would react. Um, nevertheless, uh, I think I know we still have a right to know. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. childhood's end. Uh, you know, we, uh, we have to move on. We have to grow up. Uh, if we're going to be part of this cosmic community. Anyway, we'll, uh, we'll pick up on the other side. Stanley Fulham is a UFO researcher, contactee, author of Challenges of Change, and in studio, our dear friend Victor Vigiani from Exopolitics Canada. Back with more in a moment. Don't go away. It is time for the people of the United States to launch a new war against the evil of lies, deceit, and darkness, and go all out to win the victory of truth and transparency and light. Thank you. In a democracy, we elect officials so we can sleep at night. So why are you up? 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario, 1-866-740-4740. That uh, was a former Canadian Defence Minister, Paul Hellyer. What was he talking about? UFO disclosure. When you have people of that magnitude going public and saying UFOs are real, the crash at Roswell was real, they're here, and it's being kept from us. When you have Stephen Hawking saying that the, the cosmos is densely populated with intelligence, uh, intelligent uh, biological entities, and not all of them are, are, uh, are nice. Uh, when you have the Vatican saying, it's okay to believe uh, as Christians in, in, uh, in aliens, uh, almost sort of rewriting dogma, uh, you have to start wondering whether or not we are being acclimatized and prepared for something. That's the way I see it. Anyway, Victor Vigiani in studio from Exopolitics Canada. Stanley Fulham on the line, former Canadian um, Air Force uh, a pilot who was, uh, I guess, had his first experience with a UFO while um, a prisoner of war in a Polish uh, prison camp back in 1944. That led him down the garden path. And uh, eventually, uh, I guess, during a tenure at uh, NORAD, became aware of the the agenda to keep a lid on this whole UFO uh, issue. Have you ever seen, Stanley, or uh, back in those days or or since, any document 
with the word MJ-12 or Majestic or anything that said cosmic clearance, anything like that? Uh, no, I haven't, but my friend Dave, of course, did. He was well acquainted with the MJ-12, and um, when it was uh, established, actually it functioned even before that, but it was formally organized, I think, in 1954. Okay. I think it was 54. Uh, but uh, again, Rick, just getting back to some of the reasons for the so-called conspiracy of silence, I, I'm not at all sure that a conspiracy exists in context of this definition by Webster's Dictionary, which describes it as a secret process for evil purposes. Now, was it a policy by government not to reel information about the alien reality, not only to restrict information, but in many cases to provide disinformation about the UFO incidents? Yes, that's very true. And that may be called a conspiracy. Now, does that make it evil? Now, there are literally hundreds of programs and projects established and conducted by governments, not only in the United States, but worldwide, that are classified many with top-secret information. So that is done to secure classified government technologies, but also to protect military strategies for national security. That is government policy established worldwide. So is that evil? Well, I suppose it depends on the purpose of the restrictions on information. If it is to conceal government malfaisance, then of course it could be considered evil. But this was not the case with the UFO phenomena. It may be a conspiracy to conceal information, yes, but what we should be discussing is the purpose of that policy of concealment. Well, you're we, suggesting that we, we are being protected uh, from the truth. Our, that, right on. That this, this would cause uh, panic in the streets. It would, uh, uh, it would uh, cause a huge, uh, obviously, uh, you know, Rick, uh, look ripple effect. In, in 1938, the, where Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. You read about that report, I'm sure? Yes, yes. All right. And they figured today that the situation will probably be even greater than that. And so, they, but there were a number of reasons. Uh, one of them is because, of course, uh, is that they felt that the, uh, the public couldn't handle the information. And uh, there, were, uh, there were other reasons. And, and Dave um, mentioned them to me, and I've, of course, uh, reported this in my book is that they had lost all of the technology to the atomic bomb. They had lost all of the technologies to the Philadelphia experiment, experiment that was conducted in 1943. When you say they lost the technology, what do you mean they lost the technology? That, uh, well, the technology was siphoned off to Russia. They were stolen. Okay. Okay. So, the, but the military, according to Dave, my friend, he told me that the military were very, very suspicious of the civilians in their group. There were several scientists, and there was the director of the FBI, and also a CIA. There was about five or six of them. And they were determined to get rid of them. And by this time, President Eisenhower was in charge, and he, of course, was very suspicious of the civilian authorities. And so he sided in with the military. And Dave told me, and this is what he told me about this situation. He said the military were determined they would never, ever lose any of this valuable technology, especially in, because they were going getting informa some information from the British aliens, and um, that was in compensation for the, allowing them to do the abductions of humans for the medical experiments. Let me just, uh, let me just see if I understand what we're, what we're, what we're t discussing here, Stanley. You're yep. saying that <clears throat> after the, uh, the, uh, 
the U.S. military got burned on uh, the siphoning off of uh, uh, technology to the Russians during the Cold War vis-a-vis the uh, atomic uh, bomb and vis-a-vis whatever technology was involved in the the, uh, dematerialization of the USS Eldridge. They weren't going to allow, allow that to happen with recovered technology from UFO crashes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so, uh, according to Dave, he was telling me, he said, that, that was the thinking, that was the concept of the military. And even in NORAD, there was that strong feeling amongst the military that you cannot trust the civilians, and so you don't, you don't provide them the information. Well, I can understand that to a certain point, but I, I almost get the sense that we're imbuing a greater sense of nobility to this group, whatever the structure might be that's keeping a lid on this, than they deserve because a lot of that technology, I'm, I'm thinking, or I've been led to believe, found its way into private hands, yes. uh, you know, whether it's Boeing or yes, uh, various other groups, and yes. they have uh, access to this technology, technology that could, uh, uh, that could uh, eliminate the need for... Uh, uh, fossil fuels that could have prevented the uh, the disaster in the, uh, the the Gulf of Mexico that's going to claim untold lives over the next several generations. These people, to my way of thinking, Stanley, have blood on their hands. Um, well, uh, the, the um, Area 51, UFO Cabal, uh, had a lot of information they extrapolated at the cost of billions of dollars of uh, U.S. funds, of course, and uh, they weren't about to give this away to the uh, to their foreign competitors. Why should they? That was their attitude. <coughs> Pardon me. And so uh, they, that's one of the reasons why they decided that they, they would not give out this information. But, they, of course, they gave it to uh, their own industry, like Boeing, and to, uh, to the Skunk Works and others. And, uh, of course, uh, apparently there was also the medical industry also got some valuable information <coughs> Pardon me from the uh, from their research. Now some foreigners and uh, years ago I remember reading about this. So some foreigners had complained that this alien technology, exclusively to the United States, is no compensation to the thousands of their nationals who have been abducted by the same aliens, the Burtis, the Greys, so-called, who interact with the United States. But uh, there was there were other reasons, of course. Uh, one of them is that the Berties, the ones that do all the abductions. Now, what do you call them again? The Berties. Berties. O T E S. Yeah. Okay, they're not the Greys. The Greys. Oh, they're commonly known as the Greys, but you yeah. call them by a different name. Well, that is their, the name they're generally known as, okay. Berties. Well, that's where they're from. They're from the Berties star system, and they uh, in received uh, approval uh, from President Roosevelt Truman, going back to the 40s, uh, which allowed them to do, uh, because the world is getting a pretty dangerous place for them, what with our radar and uh, missiles and this sort of thing, for the, it's getting r- r- rather dangerous for their spacecraft. And they asked for permission to, uh, well, a hands-off policy of the American government is for their abductions. And, uh, and so they also asked Stalin, but Stalin refused it. But uh, they wanted to maintain, and they did in a number of cases, and I remember in, in, in regards to the incident in Virginia, in Brazil. Uh, maybe you are aware of that one, uh, Rick? 
Where they uh, somewhat yes yeah and mm-hmm. and, and they, uh, the British worked through the American government uh, the, uh, not the American government the UFO cabal to work with uh, to make an arrangements with the Brazilian government to retrieve the, these two British aliens so there was also there was more to it than that it wasn't just a question of just hiding this information for the public because they weren't ready for it. But there were other reasons, such as the ones I've just announced to you. But also, as I pointed out to you, Rick, is that the attitude of the military, and I, can, and I think it was expressed very forcibly one day by a senior NORAD intelligence officer. He said uh, that the military would determine that the loss of American top-secret technologies would never happen again. And he exclaimed, they have been successful beyond their wildest imagination. So I guess, I guess, Stan, what you're saying is that the regular uh, sort of uh, politician who's elected uh, every four years or two years, depending on what system they're part of, has absolutely no information, control, or understanding uh, about what you're talking about. Right on. Right on. You see, too often we... That, that's very disturbing, Stan. Yes. Well, yeah, that's right. well, yes, you can consider it a disturbing, but uh, I used to think, you know, like many other people, uh, you think is that it was the government, the politicians, they knew all about this. The truth of the matter is that you know a hell of a lot more, and you follow, just know a lot more about this, about the UFO uh, reality than the politicians. Most of them haven't the faintest idea what it's all about. So, so what do you tell the Prime Minister of Canada, the President of the United States, or any given elected official about this? Is this something that's beyond their wildest dreams, or have they been plugged into this but yet uh, have to remain aloof from it? Rick, I sent my book and I, uh, to a number of politicians, <coughs> both here in Canada and the United States. I've talked to a number of them privately. An absolute waste of time. They just won't gamble and stick their neck out at, about this at all. And so, but there's one more point here, Rick, I think that we should consider. Let me just also point out, Stanley, uh, Victor Vigiani's uh, with us in studio. In oh. fact, he was the, uh, uh, his was the last voice you heard that asked that, uh, that, that question. Yep. Um, okay, so one final point, and then we'll take a quick yep. time out, uh, Stan. Uh, it becomes even more incredible, and we're talking about this conspiracy of silence, when you know that the information relating to the UFOs is not an American exclusive. Other nations such as Russia, China, England, France, Germany, Brazil, and others have had this information for decades. In fact, as my book, Challenges of Change, reported, President Yeltsin was going to reveal on national television all of the information Russia had, including a display of a number of crashed UFOs, which they have, and alien bodies in cold storage. But President Clinton put a stop to that. So, and the Chinese also have a wrecked UFO and an alien body, so they're well aware of the situation. But when a top Chinese government official was asked about what his government knew of the alien phenomena, he replied, let the United States speak first, and that speaks volumes. But doesn't that say something about the conspiracy of silence? It's not just an American thing, it's a world conspiracy, if you want to call it conspiracy, Rick. Well, I do, because, again, I come back to the point where, okay, so these initially, it was still in the hands of elected officials, and and they made some sort of an agreement uh, with the Greys or uh, whatever uh, we're calling them, uh, that they could abduct humans. Yes. Uh, for what God knows what purposes, in exchange for uh, alien technology, perhaps advanced propulsion systems, yes. 
So they have it. We don't. Maybe they're throwing us a bone once in a while, but, uh, you know, a fiber optic cable or transistors, which seemed to come out of nowhere back in the early 1960s or Kevlar or whatever. Uh, but the good stuff, the stuff that could save this planet is being kept from us. Oh, okay. No. So, well, let me just take, we'll, we'll get your response to that uh, when we come back. Stanley oh, Fulham okay. is with okay. us. Challenges of change here on The Conspiracy Show. Victor Vigiani in studio, Exopolitics Canada. Don't you dare go away. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Stanley Fulham, our guest... Challenges of Change, UFO researcher unraveling the conspiracy of silence, although he wouldn't use the word conspiracy necessarily, surrounding the UFO alien issue and uh, his investigation of the top secret government organization known as Majestic or MJ-12, created by President Truman, but perhaps um, put in place a little bit earlier, perhaps under the uh, presidency of FDR. Uh you know, we need about 10 hours, obviously, to, to get into this. We're not even scratching the surface, uh, Stan, and, and uh, uh, the clock is ticking. Never our friend. So i got to just jump in with, with both feet here. I mean, a lot of this information that, uh, that you're uh, relaying to us, it didn't come to you through, you know, the Freedom of Information Act or anything like that or going through the Truman Library or the Clinton Presidential Library. You're getting this information from on high, quite literally. Yes. Can you tell us about the uh, the contact with the Transcender Group? Well, first of all, as I say, you know, my sources are my own personal experience, as you've outlined some of it. Secondly, of course, was the NORAD intelligence officer, one of the top intelligence officers in the NORAD system. And then, of course, is that... Um, uh, the uh, then the transgender group and uh, now <clears throat> I when I discussed this situation with Dave and I did uh, until he died uh, several years ago we discussed quite often and but uh, we didn't have all the answers to the UFO alien phenomenon in fact when we retired from the Air Force we had basically the same questions all you ufo- ufologists had who were they well we knew of the grew uh, of the Greys that the Berties nothing else. Where were they from? Why were they here? Well, certainly to abduct humans from, for medical research by the Berties, but what about all the others? Were they a threat on this sort of thing? I didn't know, and neither did Dave. So I, we retired from the Air Force, he from the USAF and I from the Canadian Air Force, with these questions still in mind, but we are haunted by these things because we thought we were facing the most important challenge and mystery the world was facing was the UFO uh, alien phenomena. So obviously the aliens were from a higher dimension. They could fly into the mountainside or into the sea at incredible speeds and reappear totally unscathed. They would appear on our radar screens and just suddenly disappear. So obviously they function beyond our third dimension physical laws. So as spiritual friends uh, with whom I discussed this situation with, suggested that I could get my answers from a higher dimensional reality, namely the spiritual realm. That was a very difficult thing for me to do, so I can understand the readers or the listeners' disbelief, because I've been there. So eventually, though, in desperation, I consulted Rick Thurston, a reputable and world-renowned channeler, and began my communication with the spiritual uh, transgender group of 43,000 souls for the past 12 years. Now, I am not a missionary, 
I am not a religious zealot. I am not trying to convert anyone to any concept or belief. The information given by the transgenders is vastly beyond my intellect and knowledge. As one reader said to me, who called after he had read my book and said, if Stan Fulham wrote this book and not the transgenders, then he should be getting an award for the greatest fiction of the century. And now, we don't have the time to discuss them at, 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 in depth. Um, perhaps we can do this some other time. But uh, they're there to help us along our trail of life. That's, uh, they're not strumming harps. They're not uh, having eternal sex or anything like that. And when the rest of us get there, and then the other thing, one of the things, of course, about them is that uh, they mentioned this to me on a number of occasions, is that the souls at their level, is non-separate. That's a hard thing for us to understand. Mind you, they can focus on some particular incarnation, you know, in that sense. But the, as a group, is that they are aware of what every other soul thinks and does and this sort of thing, which is beyond our comprehension. They are part of God's creation once again. So anyway, that's, uh, we, I, I think to, to get into this a little in more in depth, we would need uh, far more time than what we are we have at this time on this radio program. But uh, one of the things I would like to mention... Let me right? Before you do that, let me let me just get uh, Victor in here. Be, yeah, uh, oh, yeah. I, I just, just want to sort of broach the issue that, you know, you've received this information, Stan, from this group of, of extraterrestrials, which is, you know, probably far more uh, difficult to believe than anything that anyone else out, you know, out there is, is really kind of uh, prepared to believe. Uh, so in, in that context, with all of the information that you've received and, and all of the other kinds of things that, that you've researched, uh, my question, in your opinion, is, is how has it been possible that the matrix of the media and government and political, what I call social uh, psychobabble, you know, all the things that we're confronted with on the, on the daily news front and, and the entertainment front, how have they been able to keep this from us on a day-to-day basis for so long when this truth and reality is out there staring us in the face, uh, but yet has been confronted with us, uh, to us by, by lies and, and, and condescension for so many decades? How is this possible, Stanley? Well... In my view, and I'm cynical as hell, is that I think the public is, well, they're just not too sophisticated. And I think that's the least I can say. I, I know it sounds cynical as hell, but I've been discussing these, these matters with the public for the last 60 years. And I just give up. Now I don't waste my time. I will not talk to any of these swamp gas naysayers again. They're just To me, it's just an app. Of course, because of my age, I've got to prior, I prioritize my time. Mm-hmm. I will talk to people like yourselves, and I thank you and others like yourself who have kept this issue alive over this past 60 years. If you people hadn't been out there and taken all the criticism and the criticism mm-hmm. and the ridicule, we wouldn't be where we are today. We'd be even further back than that. So, uh, it, but, but one thing I would like to mention, be in the limited time we have left, mm-hmm. um, Victor, is that, uh, Henrik, is that I changed my mind about the conspiracy of silence. For years, I agreed with Dave is that the public is not ready for it and this sort of thing. We are facing a different situation today. We uh, are facing the environmental crisis, which is critical. And the transgenders have told me there are countless thousands of planetary societies, civilizations such as ours, exactly, who have totally disappeared by pollution sometimes wars and sometimes by cloning. But environmental pollution has killed off countless thousands of 
civilizations, alien civilizations. Now, the Alien Council of Eight that I write about in my book, and again, we don't have time to discuss them, but mm-hmm. they, they are fully aware of our situation, and they will intervene. They've decided this at a recent council meeting, I think as recent maybe as last year, that they would intervene to try and clean up our polluted environment. But they know they simply cannot appear in our skies because they would create extreme fear and panic. They will do so over a period of time. And uh, starting, as I mentioned in my book, uh, I give a date of October 13, 2010, but it may, be two, it may be the 26th of October or the 10th of November. It doesn't matter, but I think it will happen sometime this year. It's the first step in the introduction to, of themselves to, uh, to mankind. And, I, and, and then eventually leading up to 2015 when they will have to intervene to clean up our environment, uh, otherwise we will not survive. And, and so that is extremely important to mankind generally. And I think is that it would help if the government to come clean and tell us now, give us the information and say, and pre- that would help mankind to prepare for this interaction with UFOs, uh, with the aliens, rather, I'm sorry. Well, uh, one then has to wonder is whether or not uh, the uh, the transcenders have, have, have attempted to sort of acclimatize us by, I don't know, <clears throat> getting the word out to the, uh, the head of the Vatican Observatory, uh, I don't know, the producers of the Larry King Show. I mean, I know that sounds, I don't mean to be flippant when I say that, but this is, these are the, the channels in which we are being prepared. Uh, so I guess that would be my next question when we come back. Are the transcenders uh, hoping to get this message out simply by communicating with Stanley Fulham, or are they also talking to people like Billy Myers? Are they talking to uh, the Vatican? Uh, who else is in on, in on this uh, information? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. sure your phone isn't tapped. Call now, 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Peter Davenport, director of the National UFO Reporting Center, will join us in about 20 minutes. Victor Vigiani is in studio from Exopolitics Canada and Stanley Fulham on the line, the author of Challenges of Change, UFO researcher and contactee, the transcendors. Now, these are interdimensional. These are not intergalactic. These are not ETs. These are uh, interdimensional. Is that correct, Sam? That's right. They're souls. They're souls. Okay. So, I mean, who else are they are they communicating with? Why did they pick Stanley Fulham, and who else is in on this? Uh, well, hmm. That is rather a long story, uh, Rick. Is that this all begins before we even incarnate on Earth? We, oh, all these matters are discussed amongst the souls, and all of us have assumed certain responsibilities when we incarnate to do certain things. And I agreed that I'd probably do what I am doing. But the thing is, I'm not the only one. There are hundreds of others like myself all around the world, and they provide the information they get from the transcenders in a different way. But there's not only the transcenders, because I asked them about this, and they said, oh, no, there are many other councils. 
there's the White Brotherhood, and there's many others, and there's the economic councils, and there's social councils, and this sort of thing. And they all try to provide, and only in this sense of providing advice and information, they will not interfere in leading our lives. Or, For example, uh, at a time when my sister was dying of cancer and suffering greatly from it, I, I uh, discussed the situation with the translator and said, well, you obviously, since you can see the probabilities of the future, you know what the cure for cancer is. They said, yes. Well, I said, well, why don't you give it to me? Then I can cure my sister from that and the thousands and millions of other people. They said they can't. They said because the universal law governing free will and choice uh, is what rules the universe. That was the, when God created souls, he gave each soul only two things free will and choice, to go out and experience all things. And they cannot interfere with that. They can advise you. They can give you information like they're doing with me. And I provide my information in the book. If if uh, Rick or the Victor or anyone yes. else decided to help with us, we don't want to bother with this and we won't read it, well, then fine. You don't. Free will and choice governs. But what about the other biological entities that are engaging us? They're certainly... Ignoring the prime directive, uh, you know, if if we are being uh, uh, abducted and poked and prodded and uh, free will uh, and, and choice, right? You know, uh, there are people. There's all kinds of people have a great deal of information about the UFO, alien reality, and other things, and they never speak about it. But I guess my question is, what do what do the the higher intelligences, uh, a part of this cosmic community, make of the these uh, other alien intelligences that are abducting us or interacting us? I mean, is there a war going on? No, no, there's no war uh, going Well, there are, there are, I'm sorry, there are wars that goes on between some planetary uh, civilizations, but not, uh, not uh, within the, the group that governs our area that's under the control of the Council of Eight. That's the Pleiadians, the Alpha Centaurians, and so forth. So they approve of the abductions? No. There's, they, there, and, and this is the thing about, you know, coming on plans to take over the Earth and all this sort of thing. It, it just, oh, it's, it's, it's a lot of old gossip and, and this sort of thing, and theory, but it's not, it is not real. Because we are monitored 24 hours a day by the Alpha Centaurians and the Pleiadians. And there's no other alien group that can invade or try to take over the Earth. But in this case, the Berkeys, who happen to be a member of the Council of Eight, uh, because as a result of cloning, have cloned themselves virtually to their last generation. This is their last generation. And so they pleaded to the council to, to conduct these medical studies with humans because we're closest with DNA to them. And the council, not everybody in the council agreed, but finally they did, out of compassion. And so then they've been doing it for hundreds of years until the situation goes so serious they're, uh, because of our missiles, because of our uh, radar and so forth. They then decided to uh, make an arrangement uh, with the American and principally with the American and the Russian governments to allow them uh, f- access to doing these abductions. So okay, let me get Victor in here. Alien technology. Okay. Yeah, so in effect, are you saying that the Pleiadians and the Alpha Centaurians are in some way, shape, or form uh, uh, protectors? Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. We would have disappeared a long time ago if it hadn't been for... The are they that powerful? Pardon me? Are they that powerful? Well, the Alpha Centaurians, according to trans, uh, transgenders, are the most powerful military complex in the universe. They could literally blow a planet to dust, and they've done it. 
and, uh, the, and the, the translator was saying one of the problems they have at the council meetings is sort of keep them under, under control so they're not always at wars. Let me ask you this, Stanley, and this is not meant to be in any way disrespectful, but if we are talking about an intelligence uh, that is um, now exists almost in spirit form, uh, they are so evolved that they are, uh, I mean, if they're interdimensional, uh, which means that I mean they're they're operating on some sort of quantum level here. If they can, if they have, if they exist in that way, surely they don't need to abduct humans to I don't know re, to to harvest genetic material. They could simply produce it out of thin air. One would think. No, one would think that. No, that isn't so. No, apparently is that they've been at it for hundreds of years to try and save their civilization, and apparently, according to transcendors. Uh, it, uh, that, that again sort of violates there are universal laws that governs the universe, and one of them, of course, is that is the universal principle of diversity uh, that governs. The, the, there's no two planets the same. There's no there's, there's no other stand Fulham in the universe type of thing, uh, and uh, the, 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 there's those laws that governs, and, and they have to conform to these laws, and. Uh, and when they clone, which violates, I guess, one of those fundamental laws, and then the penalty is they clone themselves to death. They become infertile. All right, and we'll take another. Happened to birdies. One final timeout. When we come back, we'll find out about when disclosure is going to take place. You've sort of hinted at it. There will be an intervention. Uh, we'll uh, discuss that in a little bit more detail, or as much as time allows. Last uh, few moments with Stanley Fulham, author of Challenges of Change, UFO researcher and contactee, along with Victor Vigiani, Exopolitics Canada. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. We deal in illusions, man. None of it is true. But you people sit there day after day, night after night, all ages, colors, creeds. We're all you know. You're beginning to believe the illusions we're spinning here. You're beginning to think that the tube is reality and that your own lives are unreal. You do whatever the tube tells you. You dress like the tube. You ate like the tube. You raise your children like the tube. You even think like the tube. This is mass madness, you maniacs. In God's name, you people are the real thing. We are the illusion. So turn off your television sets. Turn them off now. Turn them off right now. Turn them off and leave them off. Turn them off right in the middle of the second time speaking to you now. Turn them off. Brainwashed in our childhood. Brainwashed by the school. Brainwashed by our teachers. And brainwashed by all the rules. Brainwashed by our leaders. Live from Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. Now at the uh, ex-conference in Washington in May, and I had a lengthy conversation with Linda Moulton Howe, and she told me the story of her conversation with Philip J. Corso, day after Roswell. He told her that MJ-12 had concluded that they were not going to divulge the truth about UFOs for four generations. A generation is 25 years. Four times 25 is 100. 100 years 
from 1947 is 2047. Well, that's MJ, MJ-12's sort of schedule for disclosure, Victor, but I'm guessing perhaps uh, the transcenders have another uh, schedule. Did you want to weigh in on that? I, I guess my, my question would be uh, to Stan is with the contact that you've had and the kinds of things that I guess all UFO researchers grapple with, uh, you know, in, in terms of in terms of all of this, we 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 are constantly on the verge of this this uh, this this thing called disclosure, and we think for one reason or, or another because one country discloses this or that or files or whatever that in some way shape or form disclosure is on the precipice at any given time. Um, Stan, in, in your estimation, in your opinion, how do you see or the, 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 the idea of disclosure, the quality of disclosure, the time frame of disclosure, how do you see that unfolding in terms of its necessity or does it need, need to be extrapolated over time in, 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 in a period of preparation for us? How do you see disclosure happening? Well, to begin with, uh, my source was not the transgender, the original source about the... Um uh, about the intervention or the interaction with UFOs in October. But uh, the, uh, trans- I asked the transgenders about it, and this was the reply. I asked them about that probability, <clears throat> and they said yes, but it is like a spider web going f- forward with thousands and thousands of probabilities. Now, based on your calendar system, uh, we see it uh, on every day at different levels of probability. So on some days, though, there are higher levels of probability. They are more likely to do it. So it's like the Pleiadians looking forward and saying, well, we could do it any day at any given time and then projecting that probability forward. But the actual act itself is not written in stone because Mm -hmm. there is no such thing. There is no such thing as destiny. There is no absolute in the universe. The highest probability at the moment is, as you have predicted, October 13, 2010. And again, that can shift and change. And that was the transgender's word on that, uh, Victor. Was, okay. was any of that um, uh, spawned by the, I mean, the, the, the sort of pushing up the schedule for disclosure for October, did any of that had to do, have to do with the, the BP oil disaster in the Gulf? I mean, it's pretty dire. Yes, it is. Um, we, we discussed that, but uh, no, uh, no, that wasn't uh, the, the, the decision for the council to intervene to, uh, to clean up our environment was done before the uh, Gulf oil disaster. So, what's life going to look? What's it going to be like after uh, they they announce their presence? They're going to come down here. They're going to clean up the environment. They're going to cure cancer. What are we talking about? Like a well, a, a peaceful course, kingdom for a thousand years? Well, well, things will be much different. Then, but of course, on this, I'm asked to transcend the spiritual good regarding the authenticity and probability of that alien interaction, and they confirmed that the alien council decision to save mankind from the growing environmental crisis. But in the precise date of the, for the first intervention, transits, you know, like I pointed out, that all souls have their God-given free will and choice, and things can change. Um, now, the situation on Earth could be so mad as a result of earthquakes, tsunamis, and so forth, a potential financial collapse of nations that the aliens may decide that their intervention would simply collapse mankind. It would be too much. So the aliens may decide to postpone their intervention in accordance with their free will and choice, but in all probability, it will still occur in 2010. 
Let me throw something else at you. No, there's one more thing I'd like to mention. Okay. Like just, unfortunately, time constraints have limited our discussion of my book. Mm-hmm. But Challenge of Change also deals with several other vital issues, such as earth changes, earthquakes, and so forth, mm-hmm. culminating in December 2012, that will ravage the earth starting this fall and winter and increasing in destructiveness until December 2012. There's also the growing threat of international terrorism. Al-Qaeda now has a dirty nuclear bomb and weapons of mass destruction. So why haven't they used it against Israel or the United States? Challenge of Change deals with this important subject. It's called containment of collateral damage. So if the reader is interested in this kind of thing, you'll find it in my book. And then, of course, what happens to Israel? Financial and economic collapse of the world. And uh, so you can read what the transgenders suggest we too that we do uh, about the, this particular issue, and of course the environmental crisis, free energy on the horizon, alternative energy systems, and clean nuclear fuel process is now invented. Okay. Those are some of the other th- issues in the book that the reader or your viewer or your listeners rather may be mm-hmm. interested in. Yeah, I've, I've looked at most of that, uh, Stan, and it's absolutely fascinating. One last question for you, my friend. Uh, will people on this planet ever be a star-faring uh, civilization ourselves? Will we ever be what? A star-faring. Yes. We will. In about, uh, I believe we will be in the, within the, well, with assistance from the Pleiadians, apparently. They will give us some of the technology for space travel in about 75 years' time. That's according to, tech, uh, that's according to Transcendor. I don't have that long to wait. <laughs> well, wait, no. wait. In October 2010, I mean, we may have, um, who knows, all bets are off. We that's could right. have uh, life-extending technology, so... Don't well, be so presumptuous, Victor. Yes, there's many, uh, there's many th- things happening right now in the medical field. They, uh, for example, the transgender said that one of the greatest uh, problems we have in our medical, in our health system is, um, is no, what the Dickens is no, diabetes. Yes, and within 12 months, or 12 to, uh, to 15 months, it'll be they will have a cure for it. Well, and, we can we'll look to that date, and uh, in the meantime, we have. Challenges of change. Very quickly, Stanley, how do people get a hold of the book? The uh, well, I think the best way they could get that is to go to interna- interdimensional angels website and order it through the uh, order through there. Interdimensional interdimensional angels, angels website. Terrific, Stanley. Uh, we'll have you on again. There's a lot uh, here to discuss, and we thank you for your uh, your time tonight. Okay, thank you, Rankin. Thank you, Victor, and we'll be talking to you. Good Stanley night, Fulham, Challenges of Change. We will have him back. All right, Peter Davenport, director of the National UFO Reporting Center, will be along shortly. The Conspiracy Show, Richard Serrett and Victor Vigiani. Stay with us. Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. To talk to Richard, call 416 360 0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1 866 740 4740.
All right. From the seemingly fantastical uh, claims of Stanley Fulham, who, uh, for the record, does not sound like a quack. I mean, this is a man in his 80s, former Canadian Air Force, served this country, uh, prisoner of war, and um, sounds like an intelligent, uh, well-spoken individual. I have no, uh, you know, cause to, uh, you know, to doubt him. But still, I uh, I come back to the point, Victor, of uh, I just I f- I don't buy into this idea that uh, the the truth embargo mm-hmm. uh, is being handled by you know going back to forty seven or prior majestic uh, by a group of well meaning uh, individuals who know what's best for us. Uh, and that the idea is that we have to be protected from the truth. They have technology. I mean, I mean uh, you and I, we, we've talked at length with uh, Richard Dolan. And, Surely, and, yes. and, and Dolan believes it's to the point now where the haves in this world are, I mean, the super rich, the super elite, mm-hmm. the, the kingmakers. They have access to this technology, and we don't. And so now it's gotten to the point where there are virtually two civilizations living on this planet. That's right. The haves, which are point zero 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 one percent and then the 99.999% of the rest of us. Richard, that's not equitable. Uh, that's evil. It is. It, it's, it's the essence of evil. And I think uh, Richard Dolan, he calls it a breakaway civilization. Yes. He is quite convinced, and I have no reason to doubt him with, with the research that he's done and listening to all the information that I've, I've garnered over the years, I am going to fall into the category that there is this point zero 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 percent of the population who can be considered a breakaway civilization, who have this technology, who have the capacity to move through time, possibly. I don't know. I don't know how far this goes, Richard. I have no idea. But I know that there is technology out there. I feel it in my gut that they can move at or beyond the speed of light. Which explains a lot because this planet is going to hell in a handbasket at the speed of light, and they don't care. That's right. They don't care what happens because they're already off-world. And that's exactly the point, is they have the technology to, to, to cure cancer, to, to, um, to do all the things that are right for the population, but they know that if they do this, that the population of the world will expand to a point where the, the planet can't handle it anymore. And that, to me, is the essence of evil, that if we become a star-faring civilization, we can move anywhere we want in the universe. So what is stopping the technology from moving down into the populace and for the free energy to move through the populace, through the people who can use it? And, and I'm convinced, and, and this is one thing that I, that, I, that I feel very strongly, there are literally millions of children on a day-to-day basis here on the planet that will never even see in their lifetime a clean glass of water. That's wrong. Mm. And if we continue to deny those children a clean glass of water and more, then we are part of that evil ourselves in not insisting that this technology be brought forward tomorrow, tomorrow, to save these children from this kind of plight and to make this this civilization that we have a star-faring civilization that we can expand our consciousness to the point where we can enjoy our existence. And if there is a breakaway civilization stopping us from doing that, as you say, that is the essence of evil. What I'm wondering right now at this precise moment is how this talk of, you know, breakaway civilizations and contact with, uh, you know, these ethereal, uh, you know, uh, 
intelligences living in the fourth dimension, the transcenders, and all of this stuff, uh, the existence of MJ-12. How does this sound to a, a nuts-and-bolts UFO researcher who's, who's the top of his field in terms of data collection? And I'm referring to uh, Peter Davenport, the uh, director of the National UFO Reporting Center since 1994. Peter how does this sound to you, all of this talk? Are we, are we getting, like, way ahead of the game here? Well, I don't know. I, I frankly do not know what the social ramifications are in our society of the presence of UFOs on this planet. But on the latter point, I am all but convinced that we are being visited routinely on a regular basis on this planet. And that clearly would have a social impact among the people who know the the truth about that matter. When the, when the discussion, though, gets into some of the things that I was talking about, some of these, the finer points, of, uh, I mean, does that hurt your cause as someone who's immersed in sort of the data collection and, 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 and uh, uh, you know, cataloging these sightings? And, and does it hurt your cause or does it, does it help you? Uh, what are you speaking of? Now? Well, when we talk about you know the, the uh, uh, alien abductions or or uh, the agenda or the you know uh, uh, retrieval of uh, alien artifacts and breakaway civilizations utilizing these breakaway artifacts and uh, this stuff that uh, you know that for you know people in in MUFON for example might say wait 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 you're getting way ahead of yourself we 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 just want to know what are these things and where do they come from? Yeah. Well, my opinion is that these things that we have called UFOs since 1947, so now for about 63 years, are very real. They've been coming here for a long, long time. The only remaining mystery is why they don't show themselves clearly, combined with why the U.S. government is being so recalcitrant with regard to sharing this information with its citizens. Clearly, the UFO phenomenon is taking place. Why is our government down here in the States uh, lying to the American people? It's infuriating, and if there's one thing that will keep me doing the job, the crazy job I do, cataloging UFO sightings, it's uh, that latter point, the fact that the U.S. government is lying to its citizens. In, in, in that uh, respect, Peter, um, I guess that's the, you and I are motivated by exactly the same thing. Uh, when I was in the classroom uh, teaching children, and even in my in my career as a principal, the 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 one thing that uh, I could not um, abide by was uh, prevarication, was lying, mm-hmm. uh, d- depending on what source it came from. Uh, you know, it it just seems to be that uh, people, for whatever reason, want to protect an agenda on a personal level, whatever the issue might be, in order to uh, enhance their own position. In, in the in, in in the world or, or in their in their own immediate situation, and lying seems to be something that's become so um, validated among our politicians and uh, among our political leaders that lying has become something of a of a game of a sport, mm-hmm. and uh, you know the the human species can only go so far in its understanding of reality and the truth. Um, and because so much is hidden from them, where do you feel that the lies are coming from to begin with? What what source? What what is the source of that kind of uh, you know uh, that kind of misrepresentation? What what is the source? 
I've ruminated, interestingly, I've ruminated on this point at great length. And my impression of the society that we live in is that probably somewhere between 90 and 99 percent of everything that humans say for any purpose whatsoever is probably a prevarication to one degree or another. The question, the remaining question there is why does it take place? And as you were talking there, Richard, it occurred to me that as societies become more and more convoluted, more complex, they're developed greater countervailing forces and interests between people and groups of people. And therefore, I think it becomes more and more attractive as a society becomes more complex for people to resolve these conflicts just by line, just by trying to make the issue go away. Uh, in a simpler society, I think people can afford to tell the truth. When you have corporations and big government I don't think people can afford or feel they can't afford to tell the truth. So is I it understand why the good yeah. Lord made prevarication one of the Ten Commandments, because yeah. as I think of the, the damage that a lie can cause in a society like ours, intentionally misleading people, it is very dangerous, I feel. Yeah, we're becoming a, a little bit philosophical here. I guess we've got to come back to it, to the point. Um, and I really want to, uh, you know, let listeners know of some of the really, really great work that you do. Can you just tell us basically uh, a little bit about what you do, Peter, in, on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, I'd be glad to. And by the way, thank you very much for having me on tonight. It's a real honor to appear with you. I don't think I've been on this program before. You have and, not, uh, but it's not an audition, and <laughs> believe me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's very well known in the UFO community, and we are all indebted to you for your willingness to look into this subject and allow those of us who do research it to share our data with large numbers of people. But when one is a UFO investigator, and I've been one full-time for the last 16 years as director of the National UFO Reporting Center, there are many hats that the person wears, but I do two things principally. If you boil all the flesh off, all the things that I do, I do two things fundamentally. One is the National UFO Reporting Center provides a place for people anywhere in the world who believe that they may have been witness to a genuine UFO to submit that information to a facility where it will be valued, where it will be preserved. And the second thing I do is I make that material freely available to the American or Canadian or world's public so that people who wish to know what's going on will have access, hopefully, to good, reliable, accurate data regarding the UFO phenomenon. That, in a nutshell, is what I do. All right. Very succinctly uh, put. We'll uh, take a quick time out, uh, uh, Peter. I'm going to have uh, my technical producer, Dan, uh, give you a ring back and just see if we can uh, uh, establish a clearer line. We're getting a bit of a buzz on this end. We'll do our best. Okay. Uh, you can do it on cell phone, too, if you would prefer. Always uh, welcome. So... Peter Davenport, director of the National UFO Reporting Center, on the line, in studio, Victor Vigiani, Exopolitics Canada. My name is Richard Serrett. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Peter Davenport. 
director of the National UFO Reporting Center since 1994. Victor Vigiani in studio from Exopolitics Canada. Richard Serrett with you. And uh, coming up next week on the program, Deja Vu. Perhaps we'll unravel that mystery. That's probably the most universally experienced paranormal a phenomenon, deja vu. We've all experienced it at one point, in our, I, I believe. Uh, so we'll discuss that. We'll also check in with Dr. Patricia Doyle with some, I mean, as if the news out of the Gulf of Mexico isn't bad enough. Wait till you hear what she says could be coming down the pipe uh, in terms of, uh, well, the future health hazards posed by the, uh, not only the oil spill itself, but the disbursement materials that they're using that's being uh, sprayed from planes. Uh, and uh, we'll also check in with the dinosaur hunter, Bill Gibbons. That's next week, Sunday, August the 8th, here on The Conspiracy Show. Uh, uh, Peter, I, I, uh, I know that, that you uh, share our frustration with, um, I say, the mainstream media. I mean, I'm, I guess I'm in the mainstream media, uh, but um, the establishment media uh, with their handling of this issue. One thing that has puzzled me, though, uh, you know, you have someone like uh, Edgar Mitchell uh, who comes out and uh, and says that UFOs are real and, and he's been told by people in the government that uh, UFOs are real and the Roswell crash uh, actually happened. And, uh, uh, and he gets two weeks of pretty intensive news coverage. Uh, and then it stops. Uh, Stephen Bassett, who organized the X conference, was saying, you know, it's like a scientist is interviewed. And he tells them, he tells the world that an asteroid the size of Phobos is heading towards the Earth, and it's going to strike the Earth, and it's a it's a planet killer. And that scientist gets intense media coverage for two weeks, and then it stops. That's the way that the UFO issue is being handled. They're they're willing to cover to a point, and then it just ends, and then the rest of us are actually following this thing. Okay, well, what else? You know. <laughs> What is your experience with the way the media has handled this issue? Uh, I'm back online here. I, I presume that the uh, audio, the quality of the audio, is much better this it time. It is. It's excellent. Okay. Yeah. And did you did and you were you able to hear my lengthy uh, <laughs> rambling preamble? I didn't hear all of it. I just heard the last portion of it. But oh. I believe you asked about the press. Is that the case? Well, just the the the, the, the way that the, they ha- the, the way that they are involved in this truth embargo. They they cover the the UFO issue to a point, like Edgar Mitchell saying that UFOs are real, and people in the government have told him so. He gets two weeks of heavy, intense media scrutiny, and then it ends. There's no follow up. Yeah. Well, there are several reasons for that. Uh, one, I think, is the field of ufology itself and the nature of the business, because it is traditionally, almost invariably, it is very difficult, even for a dedicated, capable UFO investigator, to be absolutely certain that the case he's dealing with has to do with a genuine UFO. I used to say that at least 50% of the calls or the reports submitted to our center here in the state of Washington were probably cases of mistaken identity or out-and-out hoax. Then it jumped to 70%. I'm up to 90% now. And it I mention that because it underscores just how difficult it is for an investigator to know for certain whether he's dealing with a UFO. 
The other issue is the press itself. And my perception of that industry is that it is now, of course, a $100 billion industry. Money, as happens so often in every industry, has become the be-all and the end-all, the purpose of the existence of that industry. I question whether the press really aspires to give the American people, I can't address the Canadian uh, situation, but the American people, the, the truth, and I don't think they would even recognize the truth if it were to bite them in the ankle. The press has become an industry that waits for some official kind of government pontification, which they quickly rewrite and release as what they believe passes for news. I don't think it is. Well, I, I guess from that point of view, Peter, that's a, that's a great point, because on any other issue, it, it doesn't matter what it would be, uh, asbestos in, the, in, in brake linings or, uh, you know, poor insulation in your home or the, the, the correct diagnosis of Lyme disease, whatever it happens to be, it doesn't really matter you know, what it is. It, it stays on the table for a little while, and then literally it falls off the table when it becomes convenient for something else to pop up onto the table. Now, I, I just don't, uh, my opinion is that the UFO issue, uh, the extraterrestrial presence, whatever that might be, has, has, has no similarity, in my opinion, to any of those other issues. If that right. issue were to be pursued in the same way that any other, you know, dogged uh, journalist would pursue an investigation of, uh, you know, Richard Nixon, for example, to, to his, to his, uh, to his uh, you know, retirement or of his, uh, you know, uh, expulsion from the presidency, they doggedly went after that day after day after day after But they let this issue just kind of waggle away to nothing and and be ignored, uh, and any oh. journalist worth their salt would have to go at this uh, in a more intense way. Yeah. Well, it brings to mind many, many episodes I've had with members of the press, some of them very good. Uh, just about two years ago, two and a half years ago, a bureau chief from the Los Angeles Times, part of the Chicago Tribune group, of course, came to my center here in eastern Washington and spent a day with me. He said he wanted to know what it was actually like to run a National UFO Reporting Center. We had many, many, many good conversations. I showed him some of the best data I could offer up, uh, and he did an excellent article that appeared on the front page of the Los Angeles Times on March 28th of 2008. The next morning, I believe it was a Monday morning, he went to work, or perhaps the morning that the article appeared, and he discovered that his office in Seattle was completely bare. His supervisors <laughs> had fired him without his knowledge to that point, stripped his office bare, and it was an empty shell when he got there Friday morning, the day the article appeared. What the significance of this is, I don't know. But members of the press have become very lazy and very lackluster, by and large, and... They're not doing the kind of digging and primary investigation that we expect of members of the press, I believe. Well, that's uh, the experience of Angela Joyner, who was, uh, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Angela, Angelia. She uh, wrote extensively and investigated the, uh, the Stephenville lights, and she found her uh, equipment in a box one day when she arrived back at work when she was told to back off. So I guess journalists, once they get into this, uh, they, they get sort of tossed behind that wall of, uh, of ridicule, and they just, uh, in some way, just can't recover from it. 
Um, it, it, you know, it, that amazes me. It, 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 with the press being what it should be, it just is not. Yep. And it's a corporately owned and corporately controlled process today. And then there's the issue of interlocking directorates between major corporations. And it's very difficult to know what a corporation's ultimate objective, business objective may be, could be very easily concealed. And I am flabbergasted by the press. A lot of people think that UFOs and aliens are a very strange subject, but I've concluded that not nearly as strange as some of the things that go on in our society in apparent response to the apparent presence of UFOs on our planet. The things people say and believe or write about or don't write about, after all, in my opinion, and I think I share this view with many others, if UFOs are visiting our planet, I believe they are, it is the greatest, most important scientific discovery or awakening that the people on this planet have ever experienced. We are not alone. And the uh, UFO reports that I have posted to our website and many other organizations up in Canada and down here in Europe, over in China, uh, all point in that direction. It's, it's quite being yeah. visited. Of course, and it's a very... Of very course. important issue. Yeah, it, it's quite clear. I mean, it's uh, t- to me, it's a, it's a given. In your in your experience, I know you've lectured many times on many different aspects of this, um, and I I think the Phoenix Lights, I believe, is one of the things that you feel very strongly about. Would that be probably one of the quintess- quintessential um, experiences uh, in terms of UFOs that you've experienced, or would there be another one? Well, I wish I could share with our listeners tonight what that evening was like, March 13th, 1997. It was a Thursday night, and about 7.18 p.m. that night, my phone started ringing, one call after another. And there were times the tape recorder was running. I just left it running all night long as the calls poured in here. In my opinion, the so-called Phoenix Lights event of March 1997 was the most dramatic the most well-documented UFO-related phenomenon that we've heard of, certainly since Roswell, and it may even eclipse Roswell in terms of the number of people who are witness to those objects. But there are many interesting ramifications that seem to lead from that incident. You're correct, Richard. I have lectured on this point many, many times on the Phoenix Lights, and I've prepared uh, some rather convincing, rather interesting slides on the subject, I think, even have some videotape of what one of the objects looked like. But one of the interesting ramifications of that is apparently one of the objects was intercepted by jet fighters over North Phoenix that night, and that, we have solid reason to believe, gave rise to the declaration of what's known as a Defense Condition 3. You know, the United States and Canada share their defense activities, certainly for air defense purposes. And it appears that a defense condition three was declared in response to that intercept. We know who the pilot was, and I've actually talked to a member of the U.S. Air Force who was present that night on Luke Air Force Base out west of Phoenix, Arizona. And he assures me that all of this took place. They actually locked the base down. But the interesting ramification, Richard, is that 
I believe the President of the United States, who at that point was uh, William Jefferson Clinton, who was staying at the home of Greg Norman, the Australian professional golfer, that evening, I believe that the President of the United States may have been injured as a result of that declaration of DEFCON 3. Uh, that was the night that President Clinton uh, allegedly tripped or fell and injured the ligaments in his knee that required him to be spirited back to Washington, D.C., ostensibly for surgery on the knee. But I asked two questions. First of all, is it really the case that he did injure himself or was injured, or could that have been some kind of feint or deception to get him moved from wherever he was in Florida to a military safe area? Alternatively, if in fact he was injured, could it be the case that he was injured as he was being evacuated, no doubt in a very hurried manner, by the Secret Service to get him to a waiting vehicle and evacuate him to a military safe area in response to a very, very dramatic UFO event that was taking place over Phoenix at that moment. What did you call that defense measure? It is Defense Condition 3, or DEFCON 3. What does that mean, I exactly? Know, I know very little about it. In fact, I presume that's for good reason, good purpose. They don't, they don't publish. The military doesn't publish all of the particulars of those defense conditions, but normal peacetime defense condition is DEFCON 5, the lowest state of readiness or alert. Uh, if a perceived threat uh, occurs, they go to DEFCON 3, one step closer to military readiness. But on this particular night, they went directly. We are told by a seemingly very qualified source that they went from defense condition 5 to defense condition 3 in one step that night of the Phoenix Lights event. That, in my opinion, strongly suggests that they were the military of the United States was very concerned about what was going on over Phoenix that night. Well, if that's the case, I'd love to know uh, at what state of readiness the military was at during the Stephenville Lights incident when you had one of these craft heading directly towards Crawford Ranch. Uh, but we'll probably never know. Listen, we'll take a timeout, come back. Peter Davenport, director of the National UFO Reporting Center. Victor Vigiani in uh, studio from Exopolitics Canada. My name is Richard Serrett, and you're listening to The Conspiracy Show, AM 740 Toronto. In the darkness, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. To see the light, call Richard now at 416-360-0740 or toll free in Ontario at 1-866-740-4740. Peter Davenport connecting some pretty amazing dots here on the program. President Clinton's injury, you may recall back in uh, 97, he was being wheeled around uh, Washington, around the White House, uh, told that he had strained some ligaments in his knee, had to go in for surgery. That injury uh, supposedly occurred at the home of uh, Greg Norman, 
golfer Greg Norman in Florida. Happened the very night of the Phoenix Lights incident. And uh, Peter Davenport from the National UFO Reporting Center connecting the dots, suggesting that that night the uh, United States military went into a state of readiness uh, after encountering or trying to intercept one of these uh, crafts went into DEFCOM 3, which would have meant that the president had to get out of Dodge in an awful hurry. They would have had to get President Clinton out of where he was, back to some sort of, I don't know, command center, what have you. And in the course of that uh, DEFCOM 3, he was injured. That's uh, the first I'd heard of that, and that is, uh, is quite remarkable. Uh, the National UFO Reporting Center website is www.newfork.org. That's N-U-F-O-R-C dot org. Newfork.org. I don't know if that's... Is that a, a, um, something, a short form that you would use, Newfork? Well, an easier or better website address is just ufocenter.com. Nine ah. letters, one word. And we, spend, we spell center rather strangely down here in the street in the U.S., uh, com, and that will take people directly to our website. All right. The, uh, the media and their involvement in the truth embargo. Uh, let's talk about the government's role in this uh, truth embargo. And uh, there was a time in, in the United States when... Uh, when the Freedom of Information Act actually worked. Uh, a lot of researchers say, you know, during the Carter administration in the 70s uh, or, uh, you know, perhaps in the early 80s, you could actually get documents that weren't entirely redacted and, and, and sort of start to connect some of the dots that you're doing uh, in your work. Um, tell me about your efforts to, uh, to obtain... Uh, uh, declassified documents in, in 2010 relating to this issue? Yeah. Well, about the only documents that I've attempted to obtain from the U.S. federal government are FAA-related documents, the Federal Aviation, Regula- federal Aviation Administration documents for sightings by pilots, because if a pilot is in the air and he sees something, more often than not, they will call the FAA local center to report it. And what we like to get in that instance is the actual audio of their conversation over their radio. And you can get that. Uh, traditionally, I've been pretty successful at getting those audios and have gotten some dramatic uh, audio of pilots calling out UFOs to uh, Air Route Traffic Control Center. I've probably gotten a dozen such uh, tapes in my last 16 years or so. Oh, you don't get the transcripts. You get the ta- the actual tape. Oh, yes. You get the actual tape of the pilot uh, reporting that he's just been witness to a UFO. This takes me back to an incident that occurred. I think I can tell you the exact date. It was a Friday night, the 17th of November, 1995. Uh, two objects went down the east coast of the United States. They went down the coast of Maine, across Massachusetts, through New England, across New Jersey, down all the way to Florida in very, very rapid sequence. I got uh, actual FAA tape of a pilot uh, declaring that he just had a UFO go right by his aircraft. Very, very dramatic. And people can actually see the text of that 
communication, that conversation between t- actually two aircraft, uh, Lufthansa 405 Heavy and Speedbird 226 were their call signs. People can see the actual transcription of that radio broadcast. It's very, very dramatic. In, in these kinds of transcripts, and I've heard uh, several of them, uh, many of the air, air traffic controllers report that um, they don't have anything on their radar. Uh, the pilots quite clearly say that I've got something at 2 o'clock and it's uh, either pacing me or whatever. And they will, <clears throat> excuse me, they will ask the ATC to say, you know, do you have it in your radar? And the ATC will say no. Uh, what's that all about? Well, sometimes they may not show up on radar. But if people would like to see a case on our website in which it did show up on radar, I would commend them to look at the report on our website for the 22nd of June, year 2000, just about 10 years ago, a pilot was flying from Nantucket Island off the east coast of Massachusetts up to uh, New Hampshire, up to uh, one of the major cities there. And he had to go around Boston to the west side of Boston because of the uh, buildup of weather and storms. And long story short, he looked up Towards the setting sun, obviously it's pretty late, it's about 9.30, the longest day of the year, of course, and he saw an object streaking directly at his aircraft. It passed within 50 feet, 50 vertical feet of his starboard wing. And we have the audio tape of that. We also have the radar uh, tracings of it. And he called up radar to ask them if they had it on radar. Mm -hmm. Initially, they say no. You can hear this on the audio. But within probably 30 seconds, they call him back and tell him that they now see the object on radar. It has reversed its course very quickly, and it is tracking his aircraft. So every once in a while, they do show up on radar. And in fact, I've actually written a paper Uh, on the possible use of passive radar to detect UFOs in the near-Earth environment. It will work only if these objects do, in fact, uh, reflect radar waves or radio waves. One of the aspects of of this whole phenomenon, Peter, that uh, continues to puzzle me is that, uh, and I guess the the whole ridicule factor kind of kicks in, too, at this point, where people will say, well, you know, uh, pilots are seeing... Uh, you know, sort of experimental aircraft that the United States government or whatever other government have developed over the past little while. That washes uh, a little bit with me in terms of the uh, conventional ideas about uh, aircraft that we've developed over the past little while. Uh, How would you feel that that kind of thinking meshes with uh, a sighting that might have happened in 1951? Did you say 1951? I yeah, I go, going back that far, before any type of experimental aircraft that we have. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to match up the two. You know, it may be an explanation now, but it wasn't back then. Yeah, obviously they don't mesh. In fact, we have uh, reports from 1936 and 1937 on our website. We have reports from 1860, and in point of fact, the probably the earliest UFO report I have appears to be one from ancient Egypt. The year is 1770 B.C., so 3,700 years ago. This argument that some UFO sightings could be uh, exotic 
uh, aircraft uh, that are being operated by the military or by intelligence organizations doesn't wash with me very well at all. Because most of these aircraft are extremely high-performance, high-velocity, high-altitude aircraft. Are they going to hover over somebody's back stoop? I don't think so. doesn't make an ounce of sense to me. And it sounds more like an effort on the part of disinformation officers trying to get the American people's uh, attention away from the fact that UFOs appear to be real. And totally diversionary. Yeah. All right, Peter, one last time out. We'll come back and uh, we'll have a few moments remaining with you as we discuss your work at the National UFO Reporting Center. Director Vigiani in studio, Exopolitics Canada. Stay with us here on The Conspiracy Show, AM 740. Listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio, AM 740. The website, richardserrett.com, Richard Serrett, S Y R E T T.com. That's your portal to The Conspiracy Show. If you need to know what's coming up on next week's show or this week's show, the information will be there. If you missed a show and you want to listen, you can go to the past show archive. There's a book and DVD club. There's top secret documents. There's a page dedicated to our regular contributors. In fact, if you go there, you'll see a short bio on Victor Vigiani, who joins me in studio right now, who is uh, Director of Media Relations for ExoPolitics Canada. All right, a few moments remain with uh, Peter Davenport, who is uh, uh, with the uh, UFO report, National UFO Reporting uh, Center. Uh, uh, Peter, what would it take for you to basically close up shop at the National UFO Reporting Center and say, I've had enough. I've, uh, I now have all the documentation I need. This, it's case closed. We are being visited. It's time now to get to the reality uh, behind this issue. Uh, and, you know, why are they keeping this a secret? Who's keeping it a secret? Uh, you know, what are these things that are visiting? Where do they come from, and what do they want with us? I mean, where are you in that, in that decision-making process? Well, I would say a major, major showing of UFOs, a landing, perhaps admission by the U.S. government that we have been dealing with a reality. But I don't think our work is behind us yet, because my estimate is out of 20,000 competent adult Americans who have seen UFOs in, at some point in their lifetime. These are legitimate, bona fide, honest-to-golly UFOs. Out of some 20,000 Americans who have been witness to them, I estimate that only one of those people has ever written it down, ever reported it in any kind of meaningful way. Now, a lot of those people will talk about it at the Fourth of July picnic or at Thanksgiving or Christmas, but trying to get them to write it down is very, very difficult. So there's an immense amount of work that stands before us UFO investigators to document all of these events and sightings. But I yearn for the day when I can close down the hotline and go off and do something a little more normal with my life. (laughs) But uh, I think it's going to be quite a while. And apparently, at least the U.S. government has dug its heels in 
and they are in a very difficult position now with respect to the truth because they've been lying to us, I believe, for 63 years. How do they suddenly do an about-face suddenly and say, oh, well, we're sorry, we've been lying to you on the biggest scientific question of all time, we apologize. I don't think they can do that, and I don't think there's going to be any kind of revelation, certainly none from the U.S. government, for quite some time. No, I completely agree with you, Peter. I, I, I'm really glad to hear you say that, because they put themselves in a real corner here. They painted themselves into almost an inescapable corner. One last uh, foray into the... Into the uh, speculation aspect of this and also uh, mm-hmm. towards journalists and I try to ask um, uh, all of our guests who have the kind of position that you have uh, and I know there are many journalists uh, listening and I would hope politicians who may be sort of you know browsing on the radio or on the internet um, th- this evening who really find all of this stuff absolutely fantastic and sort of implausible what would you say to the to the honest to goodness journalist who really wants to get to the core of an issue? What what would you say to them uh, as uh, as a reporter on all of this to to convince them that this is something that they need to or should be compelled yeah. to to um, to activate in their own mind? What would you say to them? Yeah, the answer to that very good and insightful question, I feel, is very simple. Just look at the data. Just go to, for example, our website or UFOBC, or there are many, many good sources of UFO data, and start reading some of the cases. Look at the procession of sightings across a continent, for example, as happens in some instances. Talk to, call UFO, serious-minded UFO investigators, the likes of which we have in Canada and the U.S., and get some data. I cannot tell you how many times I've been interviewed by a journalist who had never even heard of the Phoenix Lights before. Mm -hmm. They knew nothing about it. In fact, when I did a program with ABC News, Peter Jennings' piece, uh, UFOs Seen as Believing, was the title, he admitted to me that before they started doing that program, preparing for it, he had no idea that there were people who actually spent their lives investigating the UFO phenomenon. He apparently had lived in a vacuum with respect to this issue, which is quite surprising because there's an abundance of really reliable and convincing and dramatic data, including good videotape, and they seem to be totally unaware of it. So in direct response to your good question, they should just make an effort to educate themselves on the phenomenon. Peter Davenport, and uh, I'll give out uh, the preferred website, ufocenter.com. UFOcenter, C-E-N-T-E-R, to our Canadian listeners, ufocenter.com. Uh, Peter, I, uh, I thank you for your time, and um, I look forward to uh, adding you to our regular contributor page here at uh, richardserrett.com. Would love to have you uh, on... Um, uh, on a frequent basis. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much for the invitation. I'd love to help any way I can. All right, Peter Davenport. And as always, uh, Victor, good to have you back. I'm glad that uh, the climate in Australia didn't uh, uh, pull you away from us permanently, so thank you for coming back. You're most welcome, and it's great to be back. All right, back next week. We'll uh, we'll talk about Deja Vu and... uh, 
BP oil and uh, some of the collateral damage we haven't even seen yet. All that plus uh, the dinosaur hunter Bill Gibbons. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Dan Ellison, thank you for technical production. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.